Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. Good morning, Abbott Loop. I'm excited to be speaking with you this morning on our last Sunday of 2017. As I was preparing, I was just asking the Lord to give me a word specifically for you, an encouragement that would take us into the new year. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of just a pattern of hellos and goodbyes. And I feel like the Lord is shaking loose and cutting ties off and we're saying goodbye to some things that have taken place in 2017. For some of you, 2017 has not been your year. You're like, I can't wait for this year to be over. Well, it's, it's tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new year. So I just feel like the Lord is saying there is, we're going to say goodbye to some things. We're going to say some goodbye to some things that happened in 2017, some pain, some trauma, some disappointment, some discouragement. And God is cutting those strings off and they're not going to follow us into 2018. We are saying hello to something new in 2018. There is a joyful discovery awaiting us in 2018, and the Lord has opened doors for us in 2018. And so I just, there was a few things that he laid on my heart to share with you. He says, hello to new relationships, goodbye to toxic ones. There were some people who said goodbye to loved ones and hello to comfort in their father. There's a goodbye to performance, striving, people-pleasing, and hello to rest in your true identity in Christ. Goodbye to control, and hello to peace in the one who controls it all. It's a hello, goodbye type of moment. And I feel like during this message today, even the Lord will be dropping in your hearts things that you need to say goodbye to so that you can say and walk into that invitation that the Lord has to you of a hello to a new season in him. So I want to pray into that before we get into the word so that we can receive that for all it's worth. Jesus, I thank you that your word is new every single day, that you breathe fresh on your people every single day, and that you have an invitation for us every single day. God, I pray that we would walk right into that invitation this morning, that we would not hold back, that we would say goodbye to the things that happened in 2017, that they would not clog clog our vision anymore, God that they wouldn't cloud our vision, that they wouldn't cloud our perspective, but we would start with a clear perspective, with laser focus on you, Jesus, in 2018, and we would walk straight into that hello season in you, and there would be a joyful discovering awaiting us, and there would be a steadfastness in our spirit, and that we would open it and accept it with wide open arms, God, open hearts, open ears, open eyes. And this would be a door wide open type of season in 2018. We thank you, God, and I pray that today you would do what only you can do in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been in a series on types of Christ or foreshadows of Christ throughout the Old Testament, and we're continuing that series today. We've covered Abraham and Isaac, how God provides for us. Little pictures. We have the Passover, how Jesus was the, uh, the sacrifice provided. His blood covers over our sins. He was the spotless lamb. And then we covered the rock of Horeb, which was Jesus, our living water. What I love about the stories throughout the Old Testament is that God is clearly setting up his son. He's setting the scene. He's connecting the dots. Jesus was on his way, and he was like giving us a picture, a glimpse into the future. He's always had this plan. He's setting the stage for his son to arrive, their great rescue plan, their love story for humanity. And today we're going to look at a story in Exodus chapter 16 that continues to demonstrate God's unfailing love for his people, for us, and our great need for him. 
The story takes place one month after the Israelites have been wandering throughout the desert. God has rescued them from Egypt through a miraculous set of circumstances. I mean, they're following. I mean, they've just had a ton of plagues come across Egypt. They've been protected and preserved. They get out into the desert, and they're being led by fire and a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. They opened up the Red Sea, and they escaped, you know, by the skin of their teeth on dry land. Like, overwhelming victory. Everybody, you know, just drowned. They're like, we win. Unbelievable, you know? And we pick up in the story after all these things have happened, and here's what it says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Who wants to be Moses and Aaron? Have a whole nation complaining against you, not me. Not me. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Here they are accusing Moses and Aaron. They've led them into the desert and they have no plan to feed them, right? They're like, you've led us here. And I just imagine, you know, the Israelites are stressed out. We try to give them, like, let's make them a little human. They're stressed out. They're stressed out. They're growing anxious. They're maybe a little hangry. Who gets hangry? Angry, hungry people, you know? And I imagine the thoughts of the Israelites going something like this. Does Moses even know what he's doing? Look at this mess he's led us into. Maybe he should have picked a different leader. Maybe God picked the wrong leader because I'm pretty sure I could do a better job than that guy. You know what? I bet Moses isn't as hungry as I am. You know what? Actually, I think Moses probably has a secret stash of food and he is just not sharing with us. <laughs> Moses is watching his own back. Moses is watching out for number one. He doesn't have my best interest in mind. And I think they also said something like this in their head. I bet they were like, does God even care about my family? Does God care about my children? Does he have a plan to get us out of this one? No, the Israelites' hearts were so filled with fear that they begin to accuse Moses. They begin to accuse their leaders. They begin to blame and question the motives of the people who had their best interest in mind. And not only do they make an accusation against their leaders, they are accusing the nature and the characteristics of God himself. That God doesn't care about me. He doesn't have a plan. Oh yeah, he could preserve us from plagues and he could part the Red Sea, but he forgot that I'll be hungry. You know, fear will cause us to do this. Fear will cloud our vision. Fear will cause us to question people's motives, cause us to blame others. Fear will get us to get stuck on our own limitations, on the limitations of others, on our own limitations. Fear clouds our vision. It causes us to criticize not only the natures of those who are dear to us, but the characteristics of God. We don't want to fall into that trap. But God heard their cry, right? God heard their cry. So here, here it is. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, look. Can you hear the voice of the Father in that look? I feel like God was so on Moses' side. Here's the whole nation of Israel is complaining against Moses. And God is like, look, I got you. Don't worry. I just love the sound of the Father's voice in that moment. When you are stressed out, when all the responsibilities, everybody's complaining against you, it's like you are responsible for everything in the world. Can you hear the supportive voice of the Father in the back of your head saying, look, I got this covered. I got a plan. I'm about to come through in a major way. Watch what he says. He says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. 
Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, there will be, there will be food. Let me start again. On the sixth day, they will gather food. And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening, you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not us. I love how Moses just calls them back out. And he sets their perspective straight. He says, look, you're complaining against God. It was God who brought you out of Egypt. It was God who brought you into this desert, into this situation. You're complaining against him. You're not complaining against us. And it's like that reassuring look that God had just given Moses, gave Moses that extra push to say, hey, this isn't my job to provide for you. It's God's job. And God's provision arrived the very next day. Verse 15. The next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They said, and they asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it's the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the instructions from the Lord. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. Verse 31, the Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Mmm, sounds tasty, huh? Super breakfast food. It's not like oatmeal or steel-cut oats or something. It's like honey wafers, not frosted flakes, but even better, you know? So I have a question for you. God pulls them out of Egypt. He draws them out of Egypt. He protects them, preserves them, sets up a plan for an escape route for them, right? They get out into the desert. They've been wandering for a while. And then God, did God forget that they were going to be hungry? Minor details, right? Did God forget that they were going to be hungry? No. Is God holding out on his people? He's not holding out on his people. No. The manna was a gift from God. And I believe that gift was always on its way. It was always going to arrive. That provision was already destined to come. It was in his plan. But the Israelites were complaining. And said they were complaining. And so it ends up being this bittersweet provision. They're like, what is it? You know, rather than a joyful discovery. The manna would have been a joyful discovery. They walk out of their tents one morning and food is raining from the sky. It's like, it's already blanketing the ground. They're like, what in the world? <laughs> food is literally falling from the sky. God, are you're so amazing. And it would have been, everybody would have been rejoicing. They would have been so confident that the Lord is with me. The Lord's presence is here. He surely is the one who's led us out of Egypt, Right? It would have been a joyful discovery rather than kind of like a bittersweet provision because they were just like a little bit entitled. What is it? Kind of like, is this the best you can do? I mean, I just hear a little bit of like, uh, it would have been a joyful discovery. God had always been prepared to provide an ample amount of food for his people. He was going to sustain them. He was going to reassure them that his presence was right there with them, that he was in the thick of it all. We can be like that a little bit impatient for his provision to arrive on the scene for us, right? Let's not rob ourselves of our joyful discovery by complaining and grumbling and not trusting the Lord. Let's wait with confident expectation and hope that God is going to provide just when we need it, that it's already on its way. A joyful discovery. 
Now, the manna is super fascinating. It's like this miracle that's taking place. And the Israelites, I feel like they were so lucky because they were surrounded by miracles constantly. And I'm just going to run a highlight reel for you of how awesome manna was. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of a beldalum something. <laughs> so there's coriander seed, and that's beldalum and if you just like mix the two of them together, you get something that would look like manna. Use your imagination. Go, you know, kids have great imaginations. You have a good imagination. Mix the two together, and then it was like white, and it filled the ground. It would fall like flakes on the ground, and it would cover it, and it was so awesome. So the, it would fall every day from heaven. It was to be gathered each day for that day. It would spoil if it was kept overnight. The Bible actually says that if it was kept overnight, it would begin to stink. It would have this horrendous smell. And then that worms would breed in it. And the Israelites, of course, did this because they, you know, had trust issues. (laughs) I think we all have a little bit of trust issues, right? So they experienced that firsthand. Another miraculous feature about manna was that on the sixth day, they would gather twice as much. And then they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to gather food. They would be able to rest on the Sabbath. And I love that the Lord thought of this. He put this characteristic right into manna to remind them of their need for rest. It was built-in reminder that people need to rest. It was like a double win, double gifts for me, rest and food. That's my love language. Mm, you know, whatever. The Lord knows what we need. Quickest way through my heart, through my belly. All right. The manna would, once it was collected, it had to be crushed and like beaten into cakes before it had any saving power. Because you couldn't just like pick it off the ground and eat it. You had to crush it or grind it into milk. So then you would beat it into cakes. And the Bible tells us that those cakes would taste like pastries baked in olive oil. I would love to eat pastries in olive oil (laughs) for like 40 years and that be a well-rounded diet. I don't know. I like bread though. Fun fact. Manna, when it was left over on the ground every day, it would melt in the heat of the sun, melt away. So it didn't get, no, none were left on the ground. But when you would beat these cakes and bake them in the oven, the manna would hold up. Interesting that it would melt in the heat of the sun, but it wouldn't melt in the heat of the oven. Miracle food. The manna was a staple food for the Hebrew people, and it fed the entire generation for 40 years. So it was a well-rounded, complete diet, all they need in one little nice little package. They could make banana bread and whatever they wanted out of, out of this manna. They would beat it into the cakes. They could, I don't know, there was probably like a cookbook for manna back then, but it, would, it was like the ultimate superfood. Healthy, well-rounded diet. It's the replacement for kale. It's the replacement for your, your protein powder. It is the ultimate superfood. I love it. Also, a portion of manna was collected and kept in a small jar, and they kept that in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, as a testimony of God's mercy, provision, and faithfulness to them for generations. There's so many commonalities, so many similarities between the wilderness manna and Jesus. Just let it sit. You're like already connecting the dots, right? Manna was a miracle that came down from heaven. Jesus the ultimate miracle that came down from heaven. The appearance of manna was nothing special. You saw it. Nothing special about it. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about the appearance of Jesus. There was nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, and eventually this miracle food would be despised and rejected and taken for granted. 
The Israelites didn't understand what manna was. And neither did the Jews understand who the Messiah was when he was amongst them. They both didn't realize the miracle that they had right in their midst. Moses tells them, this food is bread from heaven from the Lord. John the Baptist says, this is the Messiah, the one we've waited for. And they're still like, what is it? Who is that guy? They're like, get it through your head. They continue to call it. What is it? Even though Moses told them it's bread from heaven, you think they could have renamed it, but they kept the name manna, which means what is it? They didn't rename it. And it, yeah. And I think it's crazy. It's the same word. Manna is the same word that they use when they refer to Jesus and they say, who is this? Who is this man who is, um, isn't this Mary and Joseph's child? <laughs> the manna had to be beaten, grinded up in a mortar, and beaten into cakes before it could have any saving power. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was crushed for our sins and he was beaten so that we could be whole. So awesome. In the sixth chapter of John, Jesus performs this miracle where he multiplies fish and bread, a miracle with heavenly bread for hungry people. Does this sound familiar? Meeting the needs of hungry people. And the next day, people come and look for him. And they say that he was coming to look for them, for Jesus, because they had eaten of the bread and had their fill. Not because of the signs that he performed, but because they had eaten the bread. And now they want him to prove who he is. And they say in verse 30, they say, so they asked him, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What will you do? Our ancestors ate of the manna in the wilderness. As it, as it is written, he gave them bread to eat. John 6.32, Jesus replies to them and he says, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven, the true bread of God, who is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here it is, the man who was born in Bethlehem. Do you know that Bethlehem means house of bread? House of bread, here's a man born of the house of bread. He's like, bam, I am the new manna. I am the bread of God. It's like, could you have missed it? How could it be going over their heads? He is the bread of God. He is the one who came to save them, give salvation to their souls. Jesus is saying to them, his father who gave to their fathers food from heaven to support their natural bodies is now giving them the food that will give them life eternal. Food that will nourish them spiritually. Unbelievable. Jesus is to the soul what bread is to the body. So the Israelites would go out every single day, and they would get the manna. They'd go out and they'd get it. And this daily dependence on God providing that food was like, okay, he did it yesterday. He's going to do it again today. It was an act of faith. Every day, they'd go out and they'd collect it. They were hungry. They wanted to eat. They'd go get manna. You know, every morning, they had to go out and get it. And as they would gather it, they'd get down on their knees. They'd get down on their knees. And I just love this so much. As they're collecting the manna, they're on their knees. And this is the same position that we take in our hearts. Our hearts must kneel to the God of glory when we are seeking after him daily. 
We're seeking after him daily. It's a position in our heart. So we get down on our knees and we say, I need more of you. It's an act of faith to say, I don't have what I need. I need more of you. You have what I need. I don't have what I need. You are the only God who's going to sustain me. When I'm looking at the limitations of my bank account, when I'm looking at the limitations of my husband, when I'm looking at the limitations of my, my own abilities, I need to start getting my eyes off of my own limitations and getting my eyes up to heaven. I do that when I'm on my knees getting my daily bread from Jesus. I'm looking at the unlimited nature of God and not my own limitations. You know what I love? The Israelites didn't have to gather more than just one. Just like they didn't have to gather more in one day than just one day's worth. The Lord actually put limitations on them so that they couldn't. As an example for us, he built it in that way to show us it's every single day. He built it in this way. They weren't allowed to get more than one day's helping. We have unlimited access to have as much as we want whenever we want it. I love this. And despite their complaining, God would put it out there every day. His grace is sufficient for us. His mercies are new every morning. There was always enough manna. There's always enough Jesus. He's our daily bread. And here in John chapter 6, he's trying to get the disciples to understand to seek the bread of heaven that is nourishment for their spirit and their soul rather than bread that's going to only fill them for a day. He's like, get your eyes off of the temporary. Get your eyes on the eternal. I'm what's going to satisfy you from here on out. I have all you need. He tells us, you don't have to worry about tomorrow's need. I got that covered. Look. You hear the voice of the Father? We get so caught up on our circumstances and we think, surely God has forgotten about me. Surely he doesn't see my needs, my everyday needs. He cares when, you know, there's a big crisis in my life. Or when money's a little tight. When I don't know what I'm going to do with my job. When my kid is just, I don't have solutions for how to handle my children. My relationships are falling apart. God, can we go to God for those things? Does he care about that? God loves taking care of his children. And this is exactly the demonstration that he was showing to Moses and the Israelites, that he loves taking care of them. He had every intention of taking care of them. He has every intention of taking care of you. He doesn't get sick and tired of taking care of you. He doesn't get sick and tired of you needing him. It's actually the epitome of our relationship is when we say, I need you. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. It doesn't get any more essential than that. Then we need him. We need him. We need him. We need him. We always try to think we outgrow our need for him. We do not ever outgrow our need for him. We only just pretend that we think that we have. <laughs> I don't know. And we, and we just lie to ourselves. <laughs> I don't know. We can't live on yesterday's encounters. We cannot live on yesterday's encounters. We cannot live on yesterday's word from the Lord. We can't live on yesterday's supply or yesterday's small group amount of wisdom that we got from the Lord. We need a new word every single day to sustain us, to make us new, to breathe new life into us so that it doesn't grow stale and moldy. You know what? We can tell. <laughs> Have you ever been around somebody who's still living off the same word they heard like three years ago for the Lord and they're like, you're like, you're, you sound like a robot. There's like new, no fresh life in it. No new enthusiasm. It sounds stale. Our love for Jesus should never grow stale. Our revelation from the Lord should never grow stale. It's like we don't want it to be stinky and like worms are breeding in it, right? Not in our faith. Not in, not in our heart. Not where, where we are depending on Jesus daily for our sustenance. 
you know, eventually the Israelites grew tired of manna. They actually grew to the, to the point where they just regretted the day that they were delivered from their bondage, and they detested the manna that they had in front of them. Numbers 11 tells us that they say, we remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. Was it free? No, it cost them their life. They were in slavery. It was not free. You see how their perspective of ungratefulness had changed their view on what was free, what was costing them? Their ungratefulness blurred their vision of what was good and what wasn't good, what was going to satisfy them and what wasn't going to satisfy them. They say, and now we used to eat all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, garlic that we wanted, but now our appetites are gone and all we ever see is this manna. Yeah, forgive us, Lord, for when we take you for granted, when we complain, we're like, I've heard that word before. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yep, Jesus loves me. That is like the biggest revelation. It gets like deeper and deeper, more real and more real. We can't outgrow the, like, the vastness, the heights, the depths, the wonders of his love for us. But we do. We take for granted the miraculous work of what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us, and we get critical. We start to, our hearts get filled with ungratefulness, blame, doubt, mistrust, all these things, just like the Israelites, the Hebrew people. He is a miracle taking place on the inside of us. He is the ultimate superfood for our spirit and our soul. He is our daily bread. And God offers us unlimited access to him. All we need. It's like buffet-style Jesus. It's just like all you need. Not, we can't get enough. And we should be so enthusiastic about this. that we're like, I, am, I still want more. I still want more. I still need more. And we're like enthusiastic. And we're like every single hungry person. We say, come on, come on. I have what you need. If you're hungry, come with me. I have an everlasting supply. You can have all you want. You can have all you want. We should be so enthusiastic about our hunger for Jesus that's contagious for other people. That it's contagious for other people that they're like, oh my gosh, you found something that satisfies you? Rather than being like moping around like the Israelites saying, oh, I wish I could go and do this. I wish I could go do that, but I have to go to church or I have to spend time with the Lord or whatever it is. We don't mope around. We know the one who's going to satisfy us. We know where our help comes from. We know when we're overwhelmed and when we can't see past our circumstances, we know where to get our answers, where to get our solutions. It's in him. He is all we need, and we anchor ourselves in that, and we have to be disciplined at this church. We have to be disciplined that we go and get it every day. It's a, it, these are essentials of Christianity, the basics, the fundamentals. We know it here. We know it in our mind all we need is you, Lord. We sing it all the time. But do we know it in here where we actually live it out? Do we actually apply it like we believe it? Unlimited access. How awesome is that? I don't ever want to take that for granted. It makes me super enthusiastic and passionate when I think about how often I've done that and I'm like, I'm not going back. 2018 is going to be a different year, right? Where we're going to apply what we actually know and do the dang thing. Can I say that? Can we just do it? Can we get after it every day? Can we get on our knees and seek his face and do what actually matters? 
Don't outgrow our need for him. Don't grow tired of hearing how he loves you, how he wants to take care of you, how he's a father to you, how pleased he is, how much relationship he wants with you. Are you hungry, church? Lord, increase our appetite for you, God. Increase our hunger for you, Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you have searched, it feels like you've searched the world over, looking for the things that will satisfy you. Belief systems, other religions, your flesh, whatever. You've searched and you've longed and you've wanted and you just can't find that thing that will satisfy. There's a void, there's a hole, and it just is like an abyss. Whatever you shove in it, it just absorbs and it still leaves you wanting more. You're actually hungry, more hungry than when you went in. It cannot be quenched, and that's why, because it's only meant for one person. There's only one God, only one man who can satisfy that, that void in your life. And it's Jesus. He is all that you need. He is the bread of life. He's the one that's going to satisfy that spiritual hunger. No one else can do it. There is no replacement for Jesus. Josh said it even in his transition. There's no replacement for Jesus' food. There's no replacement. You see, the Israelites did not have to understand the manna. They just had to go out and get it and put it in their mouth and eat. Chew it up. And then they'd be nourished. They'd be fulfilled. This is the same thing with us. We do not have to understand everything there is to know about Jesus. We just have to go out and get him. Accept, repent, and accept Jesus. And you have salvation. You don't have to understand everything there is to know about him. Every single day, just go out and get him. Every single day, daily dependence on him. Every single day, more of you, less of me. I don't want to be like yesterday. I don't want to be like two years ago. I want to be new every day. I haven't found what I'm searching for. It's in Jesus. The manna was a free gift from God. It couldn't be bought. Every day it would melt away. Nobody could store it up. They couldn't barter it. It couldn't be bought. They'd melt away. He'd, they had, he'd have to give it to them again. Nobody's going to make profit over that. Manna was God's free gift to them, a provision of his mercy, of his faithfulness, of his love. Salvation is God's free gift to you, and it's available to every single one of us. It's available every single day. His presence and his salvation for eternal life, forever and always. He won't ever drive you away. It's unlimited access. Manna was provided for all. Salvation is provided for all. And Jesus says in, in the chapter 6, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. He's talking about salvation. When you come to him, you live forever. Your destiny is sealed. You're adopted by Christ. You're in a new family. And we have a new year beginning tomorrow. A brand new year. You can start your new year. If you've been searching, if you've been spiritually hungry, if you cannot find the thing that will satisfy you, you can start off with 2018 being a year of satisfaction. A year where your soul is content, where you're not searching, you're not wandering, you're not questioning your entire future, your entire destiny. What will happen to me when I die? You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt the Lord is with you and he is yours and you have full access to him. All he has belongs to you. You're not looking at your circumstances anymore, your limitedness. You're looking at his unlimitedness. 
This bread, it says, is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. We're dusting off 2017. We're cutting the strings to 2017. We're starting afresh tomorrow morning. His mercies are new every single morning. And we're saying goodbye. We're saying goodbye to 2017 and we're walking into a hello Jesus moment in 2018. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.